What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Run the Damn Pod. I'm your host, Jordan. Thanks again for tuning in this week for another look at the college football action. I'm going to, as always, go over my UGA breakdown first, the breakdown offensive and defensive players of the game, and then transition over to college football-wide news, where we'll look at my game of the week, player of the week, check out who I'm buying and selling this week, and then whip around to some headlines, hot takes, and wrap up with my picks, as always. I have slacked on this game day segment partially because I was wrong on everything and I have a fragile ego, and partially because it's just hard to keep up with. But if you hadn't heard yet, college game day is going back to Knoxville for the second time in a month, it seems like, I think a month, um, for the Alabama-Tennessee game. I don't think there's really another um, matchup this weekend that would have merited the kind of consideration for game day that that one did. So looking forward to seeing Knoxville show out for College Game Day again. It's a great atmosphere. And while this weekend slate is full of great games, none of them are really going to match the number three versus number six matchup of Alabama versus Tennessee. So looking forward to that one. Going to dive right in, beg your pardon, to my UGA breakdown. So as always, if you don't care or if you don't want to listen to it, I don't mind. Skip forward five or ten minutes. Usually ends up taking about ten minutes because I have a lot to say, but... You guys know the drill. Getting into the breakdown, Dogs did look back to form to a certain degree against a limping Auburn team on Saturday. Defense looked a little more reminiscent of the unit from earlier this season. I won't quite go so far as to say it looked like the unit from last season, but from earlier this season. Held Auburn at just 165 yards through the air and 95 on the ground. That's definitely more of a UGA defense stat line than we've seen in the past couple of weeks. Really an early second half field goal after a Stetson Bennett fumble in UGA territory was the only blemish on the day until a garbage time touchdown. That touchdown did display some of the aforementioned shoddy tackling that I've talked about in weeks past, but overall the unit played sound disciplined football. Looked like the defense we've grown to expect from this team. Really satisfied with their performance. The offense was decidedly bleak for the first quarter plus. Really, you could say for the first half and a half, as funny as that sounds. Um, But, you know, in the first quarter, a fake punt, or in the first half, a fake punt did set them up in plus territory. Kenny Mack put the dogs up with a seven, or with a one-yard run. But even then, like I said, the unit really didn't hit their stride until the fourth quarter with 21 points all coming on the ground, starting with that huge Stetson run for 64 yards, and then just kind of bleeding the clock away, leading to some success. I will say, to their credit, the red zone issues were pointedly solved this week with the unit. I believe, don't quote me on this, but going five for five in the red zone. Um, the offensive line of rushing attack still, though, did suffer some inconsistency. I'm going to chalk some of that up to losing Kenny Mack and Kendall Milton. That was huge in the first half. Um, but on the plus side, I will say Dijon Edwards and Branson Robinson both looked explosive and capable in relief. Future of Georgia football is in good hands, especially with Robinson, state champ powerlifter, dude's a beast. The real concern moving forward for me with losing McIntosh and Milton in this game is what their availability is going to be like moving forward past the bye week and how serious those injuries are. This team needs the pass-catching ability of Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield, and honestly, in the past few weeks, Kendall really seemed to be hitting his stride. So what is the offense going to look like with Dijon Edwards and Branson Robinson at the helm? I would 
bet that's the case against Vanderbilt. I don't think you're going to want to push Kenny or Kendall back from injuries, knowing how cautious Kirby is with those kinds of things. I think they'll probably sit them against Vanderbilt, try and get them healthy during the bye week, and hopefully come out on the other side against Florida. But I do have some concerns about the longevity of those issues. We'll see what that looks like. Continuing on from some of the stuff that I pointed out last week, the line does still need some consistency and cohesion, but overall, almost 300 yards rushing against a really decent Auburn defensive line quells some of those concerns for me. I'm really not as concerned about it if I'm seeing you put up 300 yards rushing a game. Haven't seen it in the past couple weeks, but not a whole lot to pick on here in the Auburn matchup. Meanwhile, I will say the passing attack continues to look pedestrian after a hot start of the season. Kind of more of what we probably would have expected coming into the season is what it's looked like. Um, And honestly, I'll still attribute this largely to the absence of A.D. Mitchell and to the obvious injury to Stetson's shoulder that really no one seemed to want to look at or acknowledge until Sunday. But just like in years past, if you're going to be a contender, if you're going to want to go far this season, the passing game needs to at least be a threat. It needs to be a consideration for this offense to succeed. It's look pedestrian, not bad. Stetson Bennett is second, I believe, in the SEC in passing yards, so there's not a whole lot to complain about, but a lot of that does come from the first three games of this season where he was racking up yards. So we'll see how the air raid, or not air raid, but how the air attack looks in the coming weeks. It does need to get a little more balanced, and hopefully A.D. Mitchell will come back healthy out of the bye week and towards the close of the season when the schedule really gets tough. Quick side note on the offense. This has been pointed out a couple times, and I've just got to hammer this point home. I love Todd Munkin. I'm not knocking Todd Munkin. We're blessed to have him. But that little bubble bubble screen to Brock Bowers worked like the first hundred times, man. It's not working anymore. You're going to get him hurt. And then if you start trying to run it like to McConkie, like I saw you doing on Saturday, you're really going to get McConkie hurt. So let's leave that one in the past. It worked the first couple times because it was gimmicky. When you start beating a dead horse, the dead horse dies. So I don't even know if that's a saying or not, but we're sticking with it. Anyway, overall, this was kind of the prove-it game that Kirby Smart Squad needed. It was not perfect. There is plenty to work on, but overall, a dominant showing on the scoreboard and in the box score, vaulting the Bulldogs back to number one, and it did quiet some of the noise around the program. From my end, I'm much more comfortable with the team I saw Saturday moving forward. They did show their youth and experience at times, but their overwhelming talent was also on full display. So coming out of the, well, we've got Vandy next week, and then coming out of the bye, you have games against Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and a potentially fully healthy Kentucky squad with Will Levis at the helm still on the slate. This team's toughest challenges are still ahead. They're going to need to show a lot more growth in the coming weeks to come out of this season where they want to be. But after back-to-back weeks of remarkably flat, borderline disgusting football. This was the kind of showing that Georgia needed to put on. So moving on to my players of the week, really impressed with my offensive player of the game, Branson Robinson, 12 carries, 98 yards and a touchdown, kind of in some relief duty for, like I said, the Milton McIntosh injuries. Um, He looks to me like the second coming of Nick Chubb. I'm not going to lie to you. Looks insane. I know that's an overreaction, but they're built. They're built the same. They run the same. Really cool to see him play. Lesser known fact, like I said, he's also a state champion powerlifter in Mississippi and deadlifted, let me get these numbers right, 720 in high school along with 415 bench and a 615 squat. If you're not familiar, that's kind of impressive for a 17-year-old kid. Dude's disgusting. There are pro bodybuilders that don't hit those numbers, so 
Really like what I see out of Branson Robinson so far from the true freshman. Defensive player of the game, going true freshman again and going back to the Malachi Starks well. He had two tackles, a pass defended, and he damn near had his second sports center top 10 interception on the year. He also looked very strong in coverage and is making a case, honestly, is the best defensive freshman in college football. So really liking what I'm seeing out of Malachi Starks so far. Georgia fans, if he stays healthy, should be really excited for the future with Malachi Starks. So. Eight minutes down into our podcast, and I'm done with my Georgia breakdown. Thank you for sticking around, and if you're just joining us, welcome. Moving on to college football-wide news with Game of the Week, Player of the Week. Check out who I'm buying and selling. Check out some headlines, hot takes, and picks. Starting off with our Game of the Week. As much as I hate it, because it did throw a wrench in my picks and my hot takes for last week, NC State's double-digit comeback win over Florida State was seriously impressive. I've got to give them a shout-out on the game of the week. The Knowles looked like they were going to run away with this game, but with some serious halftime adjustments, a stout defense, and an ice-cold kicker that came to play in the second half, this kept NC State's season alive. No, they're not going to win the ACC. No, they're not even going to win the Atlantic. Clemson already decided that. But a New Year's Six Bowl isn't off the table, and I'm, I really liked what I saw out of NC State in the second half. Those halftime adjustments, really key, really crucial for elite teams down the line. So a New Year's Six bit is not off the table. Honestly, maybe it's the Georgia fan in me, but sometimes defensive and special team slugfests are fun to watch. So I enjoyed the FSU-NC State game, even though it did set my hot takes and my picks ablaze. I'm going to give them credit where due. Moving on to my player of the week. I'm sorry. I know this has turned into the Heisman Committee, and I only hand this award out to QBs. But if you watched football over the weekend, you know the player of the week is C.J. Stroud. Seriously, after his untimely first quarter pick six, Stroud looked like a freaking machine. He threw six touchdowns all told, which is more than his five incompletions. And he racked up 361 yards through the air. Not to mention his body of work to this point in the season. To date, he leads college football in total QBR with a 94.8. He's a college football leading 24 touchdowns to just three picks. He's looked like an absolute monster all season. He looks like the shoe-in, runaway favorite to win the Heisman. It's almost like he's the best quarterback in college football. If only some amateur podcaster with a small cult following had called that last season. Can't think of anybody that said that. Oh, well. Oh, well. Everybody is on notice now. C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in the country. He is leading what I think right now is the best team in the country, and he is my player of the week from week six. So, liked what I saw out of him. Moving on to who I'm buying and selling this week. Buying, this one is fun for me. James Madison, baby. In their first season as a member of the Sun Belt Conference in the FBS after making the jump from the FCS, the FCS juggernaut James Madison is absolutely killing the game. The Dukes are 5-0 and on the season with an upset win over early season drama darling App State, and they've just cracked the AP Top 25 midway through their first Division One season. That's nuts. To say they've lived up to the hype is a dramatic understatement. James Madison isn't just a pesky mid-major kind of school. They belong here. They belong in the FBS. They tore through the FCS, and they're showing that they belong in the Sun Belt with those App States, with those Georgia Southerns, teams that compete year in and year out for New Year's Six Bowl spots, Coastal Carolinas, teams like that. 
I will say James Madison has three tough games left on its schedule. They play at Georgia Southern. They do play at Louisville, a Power 5 school, and then they have a division game against Coastal to end the season. But I see no reason they can't compete to win every one of those games. And be honest, even if they go 0-3 and finish the season 9-3, and that's a damn respectable first season from a first-year FBS school. And honestly, I think it's conceivable if they win all of those games or even if they just drop one of them, they could be in serious contention for a New Year's Six Bowl and – that would be the stuff of legends coming from James Madison. I mean, from FCS to New Year Six in one season seems unheard of. So super excited about James Madison. I am absolutely buying Dukes right now, and I am loving it. Also buying conference-centric playoffs right now. In two years, guys, this isn't going to matter anymore. But as it sits, fans do get kind of antsy, it seems, when the playoff or when half the playoff comes from one conference. You saw it last year with Georgia and Alabama. You saw it several years ago with Georgia and Alabama as well. Fans don't like it. Viewers don't like it. I get it. Don't expect it to get any better this year necessarily. While my playoff projection, we'll get into that in a minute, it does still include teams from four different conferences. There are very realistic scenarios where only two conferences, maybe three, are represented. Ohio State and Michigan, and you could make a case for Penn State, could all easily come out of the Big Ten. And then Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee and the SEC all look like legit threats. Yeah, all of those teams are going to cannibalize each other to a certain degree. There's going to be some some of those teams beating each other. And if Clemson or South Carolina, or sorry, Clemson or Southern Cal, USC, or another Pac-12 team, UCLA, somebody like that, wins out, then we will see some conference parity in the playoff. And at this point, that's what I'm projecting. But this is college football, and we could easily see a slip up somewhere down the line, especially with Southern Cal or a team like Clemson. And in that case, fans may not love it, but given the current system, the four best teams may and do typically come from one of two conferences, the SEC or the Big Ten. Sometimes the Big 12 in years past, but that's moving on. That leads to less conference parity in the playoffs. I'm buying that right now. And it's more reason, honestly, it kind of segues into buying into that 12-team playoff. It should get more buy-in for that 12-team playoff because you'll see a little bit more conference parity. You'll see a little bit, I don't know, more unique matchups um, and interconference play. So just something to think about as the season carries on. And don't be surprised if you see two Big Ten, two SEC, three Big Ten, three SEC teams in the playoff. It's not necessarily likely. It's not what I'm projecting. But there are very real scenarios where that happens. So I am buying power conferences right now and looking forward to a playoff system that allows more conferences into the door. The more I think about it, the more I like it. So moving on, who am I selling? Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell's bright future at Iowa State. There may not have been a hotter candidate to swipe a high-profile college or even NFL job this past offseason than Iowa State coach Matt Campbell. He has sustained success. He has offensive prowess. And he's young. All of that combines to make him a prime candidate for a powerhouse program looking for a coaching upgrade. Think about Wisconsin. Think about Nebraska. Somebody like that. Or there were even talks of him jumping to the NFL like Cliff Kingsbury did. But honestly, after a 3-3 three and three start of this season with an offense that's posted 11 points or less in three of those six games, that train may be rolling to a stop. The road doesn't get any easier here for Matt Campbell either. Matchups against Texas, Oklahoma State, TCU still on the schedule. 
Honestly, Campbell may have missed his window. He's reportedly turned down multiple offers in the past, college and NFL. But after this season, it may be a while before he gets another. He was on the mountaintop. I think he overstayed his welcome at Iowa State. I think maybe rightfully so. The case could be made. He was in a great situation. and shouldn't have left. But after this season, he may not get that chance again. So... To hitting back to the Sun Belt, selling Mountie Magic. I hate this, but all good things must come to an end. And after opening the season with three straight storybook performances, a first-ever college game day appearance, and a top-ten upset win, App State has fallen from grace. They've slowed their role considerably. They have recent loss to James Madison, a darling of mine now, and Texas State. It's left them 3-3 three and three and little hope for a major bowl. New Year's Six Bowl pretty much out of the question at this point. Really, right now, a winning season and a bowl appearance would probably be the peak for App State, which is really sad when you think back to where we were three, four weeks ago. I will say, I have to admit, as a fan, I didn't want to believe it, but as a college football person, the writing was kind of on the wall after the Troy game as a game that App State should have won by double digits and they needed a Hail Mary on the last play to win it. Like I said, it doesn't do anything to quell the hurt. It still hurts to see him fall from grace like this. But alas, we will always have weeks one through three. And honestly, I know some App State fans. If you ask any of them, I think they'd say a six-win season, a top-ten win, getting college game day for the first time, and the national notoriety that's come along with that is a huge win for them. That's a great season. I know they had higher expectations, but it was a lot of fun, and I think Mountie fans will be really pleased with that. So that wraps up my buying and selling for this week. Going to do now a quick whip around to the headlines. Going to get into my Heisman for the playoff, and then wrap things up with hot takes and picks. It's kind of a slow week for news, but I will say the big news is that Bryce Young missed Saturday's game against Texas A&M, obviously, and the Bama offense suffered, obviously. It remains to be seen if he's going to play in Rocky Top this weekend against the Vols, but the Tide's going to need a healthy Bryce Young to take down this hot Tennessee team on the road, so something to keep an eye on as the week moves forward. I would imagine you're not going to hear anything about that until really maybe day of potentially Friday on his status. I think Nick is going to keep that close to the best, but definitely something to look out for. Speaking of Bryce Young, going to move on to the Heisman 4, where we do have a huge surprise. Bryce Young has been dropped off. Right now, I have C.J. Stroud as the clear favorite, with Hendon Hooker kind of nipping at his heels. After a couple tougher performances, I've still got Caleb Williams in there, and then a newcomer, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Like I said, huge surprise here, dropping Bryce Young for DTR out of UCLA. I'm going to justify it to you like this. This is a perfection-based quarterback award the Heisman is. I don't care what anybody says about it. You have to play perfect for 13 to 15 games to win this award, and you have to be a quarterback at this point. So to say that, Bryce Young has now missed a game, and he could miss more time. After a relatively slow start, which still included some decent numbers, Dorian Thompson-Robinson has now racked up 1,510 yards and 15 touchdowns through the air to go along with 231 rushing yards and four touchdowns on the ground. And he's got UCLA sitting at a 6-0 record in the top 20 ranking. Do I think DTR is going to stay in my Heisman Ford? Do I think he's going to end up in New York? Not necessarily. But right now, UCLA is in a groove, and with DTR at the helm, he's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in college football, so you have to give him his respect. And right now, outside of Stroud and Hooker, 
I really don't care who you put on the Heisman list. For me, I think Caleb Williams has earned it. I think he is a solid number three right now. And after that, you could really give me anybody, but I'm sticking with Dorian Thompson Robinson right now, specifically because Bryce Young has now missed a game and looks like he could miss more time. So that's my justification for getting rid of Young. Please don't come after me. I'm not a Young hater, but that's where my Heisman force sits right now. On that same token, looking at the playoff, really no change from last week. I've currently got Alabama, Ohio State, Southern Cal, and Clemson. If I had to put them in order, it's going to be Ohio State 1, Bama 2, Clemson 3, Southern Cal 4. I will admit I'm shakier on Bama this week than in weeks past, and yes, Southern Cal is slumping a bit. I will say you could really throw out any combination of Georgia, Tennessee, Michigan, even Oklahoma State in place of Alabama and Southern Cal right now, Um, and I would probably be okay with it. I probably wouldn't argue with you. My thought process is I'm counting on an easy schedule for Southern Cal, and I'm chalking Bama struggles up to, last week, the health of Bryce Young, and earlier in the season, the health of his receivers on the outside. Ultimately, too, Bama can probably afford a loss as long as they win the SEC, Same can't be said for Southern Cal. I do think they have to win out, especially since the Pac-12. Utah is looking decent. Oregon's looking strong. UCLA is undefeated. Regardless of all this, I do think right now Ohio State and Clemson look like locks. Um, So I think you're pretty set in stone with Clemson and – or sorry, with Ohio State and – sorry, Ohio State and Clemson. Clemson – Winning the ACC, Ohio State being the number one overall seed. And then I'm a little more wishy-washy on the rest of it. But like I said, right now, Alabama, Ohio State, Southern Cal, and Clemson are my playoff picks. Holding on to Alabama and USC, if for no other reason right now, than stubbornness. So that's my playoff pick at this point. Moving on to hot takes. Last week, I missed hard on FSU. Um, They still could beat Clemson, and that would kind of vindicate me. Um, But my Tennessee take, I will say, is gaining steam. So speaking of FSU, I am picking them to upset Clemson this weekend. That's my first hot take. I think they take down Clemson and Doe Campbell this weekend, and they secure that signature win that Mike Norvell's been looking for. Honestly, at this point, it really doesn't change the trajectory of the season for either team. Like I said, I think if Clemson wins the ACC, even with one loss, they're in the playoff. But the Knolls need a big win, and this one feels right. At home, they've got some momentum this year. I think FSU wins this one. And my second hot pick is Bama versus, or my second hot take is, and honestly, I don't know if you can call this a hot take or not, but I'm rolling with it. I'm saying Alabama versus Tennessee is decided on my final drive of the game. I think Bama takes the win. Back to T-Town on a last-second field goal. I think they walk out of Rocky South with a win. I know they're favorites right now. It seems there's a lot of momentum around Tennessee. I'm definitely on the Tennessee hype train. I still think that they will win two out of three between – or sorry, two out of three between, yeah, LSU, Bama, and Georgia. They already took down LSU. I think they beat one of Bama and Georgia. I just think it's going to be easier for them to take down Georgia – after kind of a humility heat check against Alabama. So I have Bama beating Tennessee on the final drive. Hot take, field goal wins it. So moving on to my picks, kind of spoiled a couple of them for you already, but we're still going to dive into them. Last week, a little pedestrian for me. I went five and three. I'm now 32 and 12 on the season. This is a big week ahead. Tons of ranked matchups. 
This is definitely a make or break week for your boy. I'm sitting really nice right now at 32 and 12. I like that record. But I have a real potential to miss on a lot of these this week. So we're going to roll through these and hopefully I can keep myself out of the 20 loss range midway through the season. So I've got Michigan over Penn State. I have Oklahoma with a bounce back win over Kansas. This is a little controversial. Kansas did go down to the wire with TCU. Kansas is a good football team. Oklahoma is probably not a good football team. For me, this just feels like a momentum shift. It feels like a defining moment for Brent Venables in his first season. I think Oklahoma's talent is going to show, and it's going to overwhelm Kansas. I think Oklahoma bounces back and wins. At Texas over Iowa State, they're rolling with Quinn Ewers right now. Now that he's back and healthy, this team is dangerous. Imagine what this season could have been if he hadn't gotten hurt against Alabama. Like I said, I do have Alabama over Tennessee. I have Oklahoma State over TCU in a Big 12 clash of the Titans. I've got NC State over Syracuse, two ACC contenders who really have, I don't know, well, Hughes could still actually end up winning out, but NC State's season has kind of hit the rails. They're not going to win the Atlantic, but I do have them over Hughes, potentially competing for New Year's Six. Speaking of James Madison, you know i got to get my Dukes in. I've got them over Georgia Southern. I'm sorry to my Southern listeners. I get it. I'm a Duke boy right now. James Madison Dukes not the Blue Devils. Got Florida State over Clemson. That's a hot take. I know I'm going to miss that one, but I have to take it. I've been on the FSU hype train this season, and I've taken them over Clemson at home. And then I have Southern Cal over Utah to wrap things up. So that wraps up Run the Damn Pod for this week. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. I guess I always say please follow and subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout, wherever you get podcasts. If you need a way to listen to it, let me know and I'll get you hooked up. But can't thank you guys enough for tuning in and listening. As always, cheers and go dogs.